not until the early aughts did social networking slowly morph into social media. And that little subtle difference is I think what's caused so much damage in our community is we were essentially sold a bill of goods that by being on some of these social media platforms, we were connected and that's not true. And so I think what happens is when you're, when you're confusing absorbing information with building a relationship with another person, that's where disconnect starts to happen. And so making sure that we're using technology to elevate the people that are creating helpful content truthful content, fact-based content, making sure that those kind of thought leaders and content creators have a space to distribute that information and then create an area where it's safe to build actual community based on reality and intimacy and vulnerability. I think those are the biggest challenges that we're facing right now as a society. All branding is personal and it's not about who you say you are. It's about who you are and how you say it. I'm Hirsch Repu, copywriter, comedian, and brand voice expert. I've helped hundreds of companies fine tune their messaging. And now I'm sitting down with some of the most ambitious and imaginative founders around who share their seven figure and eight figure stories and next figure goals. Let's hit the brand voice runway. My guest today on Brand Voice Runway is Amanda Moriucci. Amanda is the CEO of Appet Ventures, one of the most successful female-owned tech development firms in the world. They create custom apps for mobile and web. She's been in the 40 under 40. She's been in Forbes. I already told Amanda that I would not read a litany of her accomplishments, but I do want to read this quote because I did like this quote from her bio. To the casual observer, it probably seems like a lot, but I'm addicted to the positive energy exchange that comes from serving, whether that's alleviating a client's pain through technology, investing in relationships, or helping to develop future generations of leaders, which, by the way, includes my own children. And I had mentioned to Amanda that I love the fact that it puts in perspective, I think, a lot of the things that matter to all of us. What is the next generation going to do? What lessons are they going to learn from us? And you also mentioned positivity, humanity. When people are listening to this conversation, those words are going to come up over and over again, which wouldn't be unusual in a typical conversation for a life coach or somebody working in personal development or education. But here we're talking tech. We're talking someone who's working in tech and making advances in technology and is committed to a standard of quality and a standard of engagement that is really, really extraordinary. So Amanda, tell me a little bit about why humanity plays such a role in this bigger conversation that you are having about your Yeah, business. absolutely. So the reason why humanity matters in technology is because technology is a tool used by humans. It's not, you know, so much of what we've been reading recently that tech's going to replace us all and tech is going to eat the world and and you know, in only a couple years robots are going to be doing all the things that humans do. It it can't be that. And so I think if we 
come back to center and we recognize that technology is simply a tool to be used by humans, it puts technology in its proper place in our daily lives. And so as humans, we use our phones, we use our apps, we use our emails, we use our various applications that we go to on a day-to-day -day basis to do what we do in our lives and get back to what makes us human. And those are our relationships and our connections with others and how we're serving our community and how we're how we're making improvements for, for ourselves, for our family, and for those around us. And so I think putting technology in that frame is why bringing humanity back into the conversation is so important for me. Yeah. And as far as, you know, being addicted to the positive energy exchange, that's another, that's another element of this, another aspect of this whole question, because you purchased Appit in 2019. That was right before, it was at that point, a seven-year-old company, something like that. But this little did you know was on the verge of a pandemic, on the verge of all kinds of crazy craziness about to happen. And uh, tell us about that point in your life and how this wasn't really a conventional decision that you made to start this, to take over this company. <laughs> so I laugh now because my youngest son was born December of 2018. And six months later, I cashed in everything and I purchased Appet because I had a calling that just would not leave me alone. It was just this nagging that I needed to do this. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, man, I had a six month old kid. I really, I'm married to a firefighter. I didn't really have any kind of path where I was like, this is going to be my journey. I'm going to be the CEO of a tech company, but I did it because I was called to do it. And I laugh now because had I known that COVID and a global pandemic was going to happen, I don't think I would have had the guts to do it. And I think that's why I speak so often about the sacred journey of entrepreneurship, because you have to make a choice with the information that you have at the time and you make the best decision possible. And then you just take the hits as they come. And I think when you take those hits and you grow from that, I, I say often that entrepreneurship burns away the jagged parts of your ego. So when you become successful, that money that comes that magnifies whatever's inside of you, it's almost refined and purified because you've gone through so much. And that's why I love the entrepreneurial journey because there is a point where you just have a belief that just won't leave you alone and you pursue it and it changes you for the better against all conventional wisdom, right? So yeah. somebody would yeah. have told me, Amanda, you're crazy. Save that, put that in a 529 plan because your kid's going to have to go to college at some point. But turns out we're fine. You know, my yeah. baby's still alive. My company's thriving. I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. And, you know, the going for it part, <laughs> that's another human element, which is, that we could play it real safe. And I most of the people I talk to, 
no matter whether they're on the creative side or they're on the, you know, I, I growing up, I used to think that being a creative person or being, you know, doing comedy, acting and other things that I was doing, I felt like I was the considered the risk taker, but I never felt like a risk taker. I wasn't a daredevil. I wasn't the kid, you know, jumping off the mountain top into the water. You know, I waited for the other people to jump first and then I would do it. You know, I wasn't that kind of kid. But now that I meet so many people, I'm like, yeah, you know, most people want the stability and the other things. It's just sometimes we're called to do something else. And we have this burning either a thought or a knowledge or a foreknowledge or something that tells us that if we don't do this now, we're not going to do it. As we look ahead now, you have, you're at, you're, you, like you just, like you've said, you're okay, you're good. Now, what's coming up in the next year that is either a challenge that you want to overcome or are excited about overcoming or just another stage or another phase that you want to hit with Abbott? Yeah, great question, Hirsch. So we had talked about this kind of, we're cheating a little bit because we had a chance to chit chat a little <laughs> bit before we, yeah. the, the podcast. But the biggest challenge I'm fighting right now is bringing humanity back into technology and doing it in a very specific way. So for my content creators, for my thought leaders, for authors, coaches, organizations, like professional development organizations, giving these types of companies the power to reinstill connection and community back into technology. And we're in such a fascinating space with the changes in social media and what's going on with privacy laws and big tech in general. You know, these thought leaders and entrepreneurs are so perfectly positioned to use the best of technology to allow ourselves to reconnect, right? So yeah. I don't know if you guys remember, you know, the early days of Facebook. So back in 2005, before all of the algorithm changes, ironically enough, back then Facebook was considered social networking. Right. And not right. until the early aughts did with all of those Facebook algorithm changes, not until the early aughts did social networking slowly morph into social media. And that little subtle difference is I think what's caused so much damage in our community is we were essentially sold a bill of goods that by being on some of these social media platforms, we were connected and that's not true. And so I think what happens is when you're confusing absorbing information with building a relationship with another person, that's where disconnect starts to happen. And so making sure that we're using technology to elevate the people that are creating helpful content, truthful content, fact-based content, making sure that those kind of thought leaders and content creators have a space to distribute that information and then create an area where it's safe to build actual community based on reality and intimacy and vulnerability, I think those are the biggest challenges that we're facing right now as a society. And that's where Abbott wants to insert ourselves is in that space and empowering those people to make a positive change and almost in a way claw back what we gave up without really realizing it. And that's just connection. Now, what is the climate like 
in the app development world now? Oh, this is a great question, Hirsch, because so much is happening in the technology space in general that I think it's really impacting what we're doing in the app development space. So two big things. The first is big tech. So think Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So a lot of these bigger tech platforms, they're changing how they're interacting with smaller app development companies. And, you know, a big part of that is related to privacy laws that are starting to be implemented just across the country. So we know that California has had pretty strict user privacy laws in place along the lines of GDPR, like what you would read in privacy laws in European countries. And even Colorado, just as of July 1st, just a couple of days ago, they also started to implement privacy laws as well. And so in response to that, you're seeing big tech platforms make some sweeping changes that some companies are going out of business, right? Because they built their business on top of being able to use information or connect with some of these other larger platforms, which as a business owner myself is pretty scary to see. And so we're getting more business from customers that want to not be so reliant on big tech platforms and really start to forge their own path, which in my opinion, naturally is better for us as a consumer society, right? You want to see rich competition with different kinds of technology available. And then on the other side, I wanted to tease you a little bit. You're one of the first people that's gotten me to, to speak publicly about chat GPT just because, (laughs) you know, some of my friends, like I'll be rolling my eyes, like, oh, AI finally got its moment after being, you know, being around for years. Now chat GPT, we're talking about it. But the reality is in the app space, we're seeing thought leaders, authors, influencers that are getting their content off of the public domain. So no longer on websites, no longer on blogs, and they're putting them in their own applications Because if you have your content on the public domain, it'll get snapped up like that from Mm -hmm. ChatGPT. The amount of, let's just call it digital IP theft happening with ChatGPT is pretty, it's pretty alarming at the pace that that can happen. And so those are some interesting trends we're seeing today is moving content, moving community moving connection really into private-based apps. And that's what's been really fun to be working on. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing to consider is because we talked about the good part of AI and the human interface with technology and how we're partners. But I also mentioned that there are people who use it for nefarious purposes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is a genuine risk. So IP theft and also just you know, care just really careless inaccuracy and things like that are being addressed by some people moving their IP into their apps. How does it, for example, how does AppIt maintain its connection with its customer base, with its clients? How are you informing people on an ongoing basis what's going on, what new developments are happening at the company? Yeah, so that's a great question. We really are working closely with our customers on making sure that their apps are kept up to date. I don't know if you guys remember, I would say about a year ago when you started to see all of your apps pop up with Ask App Not to Track. 
Uh, we would be warning our clients ahead of time. Hey, this is coming. These are some of the things that you need to change. Here are some updates to be thinking about. But luckily, some of those clients, most of those clients historically have been serving like their own internal user base. It's really been with only in the past year or so that we're starting to serve more of those content creators, those community builders, because up until about six months ago, they didn't need to make that change, right? So having your own app up until about six months ago didn't really serve a business in the way that it does today. So the clients that we're serving today are the ones that really need to make sure they're staying on the cutting edge of technology because they're having to forge their own way instead of leaning right. on traditional platforms to do that for them. So it's been a pretty interesting shift in the marketplace just recently. Yeah. So now in short, though, one point to extrapolate from that is that the app development world is growing because it's becoming a much more of a tangential element or an integral element, but a, you know, another layer of a business's infrastructure than than it was in the past when it would be considered an end user product. Absolutely. Absolutely. So think about a business that, for example, let's pretend it's a business that invests in professional development, one-on-one coaching, leadership development, right? Historically, you could record a ton of courses, create a ton of content, engage a community, and you could do that on a platform like, let's say, Kajabi or what's an, a learning dash is an, or learn dash is another mm-hmm. good example. You could deliver that coursework in a beautiful way. And then you could build a private community where all of your students and clients come together in one space. And you could build that community on a private Facebook group, for example. The problem that we're starting to see now is for those types of client profiles, those customers are leaving Facebook because why else would you be on Facebook other than like the joke is I go on Facebook to, you know, see, read some fake news and see a bunch of ads. Like it's not what it used to be even just a couple of years ago. And so as Facebook continues to lock down those feature sets, these same clients that were able to deliver their content and engage their community using those tools need to find something different. And what we found recently is once they invest in those technologies, like have owning their own tech, their value as a business goes up by 10 times because investment groups. So think private equity, venture capital, other strategic acquirers, like a media company, They want to acquire that technology because that technology, not only does it respect privacy laws and protects your customers, but it gives you the data that you need to serve those customers well. So we give our clients the data on this is your most top performing. This is your most engaging content. Do more of that. And that's why we're seeing our clients see, you know, 20x growth just on revenue and then a 10x growth on valuation on top of that. I mean, it's a really tough thing to not consider as you're growing your business for the long run. That's really, that's really fascinating. That's really incredible. So how does it influence then the traditional form of communication? You mentioned email So talk a little bit about that dynamic, because the email, you know, and the privacy that exists or doesn't 
in email. What are your thoughts on that? Oh my goodness. So Hirsch, we went through (laughs) in Q1 this year, all Microsoft emails completely changed their spam filters. So I don't know if any of your listeners have just that have really large email lists, if they notice kind of a drop-off in deliverability or open rates, but we saw that with our clients in Q1. And that was because Microsoft branded emails. So MSN, Outlook, Hotmail. And if you had like company emails that were on like the Microsoft platform, they changed their spam algorithm. And so deliverability just fell down significantly. And so, you know, I've heard in the space that you have to move all of your customers to an owned platform, right? So email is the closest thing that you have without investing in your own technology. And even email stresses me out because you're still subject to, not only are you subject to deliverability or like the whims of, of Microsoft or any other email provider, but you're not solving the other problem that a lot of content creators battle and that's distraction. I mean, I can tell you in my role, just in my work email, not considering my two other personals, I get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails every day. And so sorting all of that, even if it's coming from somebody that I want to hear from, battling that distraction and dilution has just been terrible for me. And I have to imagine I'm not the only consumer that is struggling with that very same thing. And so if consumers are struggling with that, if you are a thought leader, content creator, you lean on your email address to drive your business or your email list to drive your business, it's really something to be thinking ahead. How are you going to not only grow your reach, but make sure you're capturing that attention on a regular basis? Yeah. I mean, that's something that I paid attention to and got involved with, you know, maybe under a year ago, where as a copywriter, I would look at, you know, the ROI on campaigns and things like that. And you're bought media and all of that stuff versus, you know, earned media. And so I started experimenting in emails, which I've been able to figure out some of the things that do work. But one of the things that I'm constantly faced with or my clients are faced with is the fact that people may have well subscribed to their list. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's a warm list, but they just may not have the time to open it. They may have, you know, it may get, it may be showing up in their inbox, you know, or every time they send, but how do people choose what to open and what to maybe just ignore? Or what exactly. to click through or what to, you know, so so that I think it's still viable as a medium, but I think there's a tremendous challenge to us, which goes back again to that AI thing. I think AI is great, but is AI going to crack that code and wake people up and wake an audience up and engage with them? That's very hard for a search engine to do on its own, you know? Gosh, you're you're really touching on a few pain points that even I have. So given my title, I'm a target for email solicitors, right? Like that's that's the name of the game for my role. And it's funny, I'm really close to issuing a post on LinkedIn and some of, I'm most active on LinkedIn to my email spamming friends about, listen, you guys, 
I'm starting to see the chat GPT emails and they're terrible. I mean, really, really, really bad. I had one particular email that, that it was from a company that was trying to sell me. And let's just say it was ABC company, ABC company. And the body of the email said, we notice at ABC company that you do mobile app development at app adventures. We care very much about partnering with our customers. So they had the names wrong. (laughs) As I was reading the email, I was like, this was obviously written by a robot and the robot was wrong. And so what happened rather than damaging, yes, it damaged that brand in my eyes, but it also damaged email. So what's happening in the mind of the consumer is I don't trust emails anymore Mm -hmm. because I don't know who wrote it. And I think what's starting to become more valuable than anything at any point in the history of technology is trust. And so, whereas even just six months ago, our currency was attention. Now my currency is trust. And how I find you now is really through my apps, because even on, let's just say Instagram, where I carefully curate who I follow, because where I pay attention is what grows in my life, right? Right. And so I'm going to follow positive thought leaders that are driven towards business and leadership and abundant mindset, but I can't even see those people on my feed anymore. And so I think you're going to start to see a pretty aggressive movement of consumers that don't trust email, don't trust social media, but they still have a need. And so as a service oriented provider, how are you going to meet your customer with where they're at? And back to empathy, that requires empathy. And so thinking about how is technology invading your life today and how can you better serve your customer and alleviate that invasion that technology has really brought about? Yeah. And, and and it's funny that you mentioned you don't know, you know, not knowing whether something was contributed to or created by AI is the reason for the distrust and yes. for the lack of impact. In other words, if you don't know that it came from a human, you don't actually believe it, right? So it either did or it didn't, and you don't know. One of the things I'm advocating for as a writer is that I'm advocating for disclosure and credit very much so. where where applicable i mean you know you don't know who wrote an ad if you watch an ad on tv but you know who wrote it if you're in the business you yep. know who wrote it and you know i did pr for people in in commercial production for a long time so copywriters editors directors composers so that's visual effects artists were all people whose image i was ex- responsible for curating so you know, I am very sensitive to the authorship notion when it comes to that stuff. I think that's something that can be addressed. But I think that those emails and things are more effective if they can either collaborate, like we're talking about. There's, yes. you know, I have ideas for that too collaboration between the AI and the writer and the crediting, the crediting part, which will also resolve some of that stuff. I very much agree. And I I tend to be the fish swimming against the current in that conversation of chat GPT will replace all copywriters. I vehemently disagree. In my own business, I actively refuse 
to use ChatGPT in any of our content that we're putting out there. But even in our business, I'm not putting my most valuable content on the public domain. And the right. reason why I'm not is I already had copycat competitors and I'm not going to allow my competitors to drop what I have to say into a tool and mutate it into something less valuable. And so we're actually taking the opposite path and doubling down and working with copywriters because what I'm after, Hirsch, is humanity. Yeah. <laughs> I will not succeed as a technology company if I do not have humanity infused into everything that we do, from marketing to selling to development to delivery. And the reason why is because humans use what we create. And the thing about AI is that it can only repeat what has already been created. Yes. And the thing I love about creatives and the reason why they will never be replaced is because they are at the forefront of coming up with new ideas, creative ideas, something that hasn't been done before. And a machine can never, ever do that. And yeah. that requires empathy, creativity, passion, excitement, abundance, all of the things that a machine would never even begin to grasp. And so you know, that's my take on it coming from a technologist perspective. And I wish there were more voices like mine taking that stance. Well, I appreciate it, Amanda. And I'm happy to be sharing it. If you've enjoyed this episode of Brand Voice Runway, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. The positive reinforcement keeps us going. Who am I kidding? Founders like us keep going regardless. Thanks so much for listening and make tomorrow greater than today.